everyone, and welcome to the Discipling Culture Podcast, the space where we learn what it is to create communities that follow Jesus in this generation and the next. I'm Nate Scott. I'm Mike Breen. And we are back. How are you doing this I, week? Uh, uh, well, I'm doing all right. I'm, I'm 64 as of yesterday. Congratulations. That's Thank so exciting. You. Yeah, I remember the Beatles record, and I did a reel of it yesterday on my Instagram thing. You know, will you still feed me? Will you still need me when I'm 64? And I can remember when it came out, because I was, I don't know, a little kid. And um, and I thought at the time, I can't imagine being that old. <laughs> and here I am, that old. And I'm still not sure I can imagine it. It's still difficult to imagine. So I have a question. I was talking about this with some friends the other day. I feel like in, you know, maybe around like age 28 or something like that, I stopped feeling older on the inside, if that makes any sense. And so now when I, you know, exercise too hard or go running for the first time or do flooring like I did this past weekend, my body certainly reminds me that I've continued to age since 28. But uh, sometimes I have to actually remind myself how old I am. Um, does that, like, do you feel that way at 64? Or do you feel like, oh, no, I feel a lot older and wiser now, more mature? No, I, I really don't. I, I think I think I got to around about 30-something. And then it, then it didn't, I didn't care anymore. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. There, there were significant birthdays. Uh, 20 was a significant birthday because I wasn't a teenager anymore. I can remember thinking, this is, you know, I had a kind of momentary depressive episode lasted, I don't know, three minutes. Um, (laughs) You know, I just thought, oh, gosh, I'm not a teenager. That was kind of a great period of life. I like being a teenager. And then when I was 40, I remember thinking, I'm now a man. Mm. No, because I was always very conscious that a lot of my work had been done as a very young man. You know, all of the stuff that I'd pioneered had, had happened when I was, you know, in my twenties and thirties, and I always felt like that passage that you know Paul says to Timothy, "Don't let anyone despise your youth," was my kind of favorite verse because I felt like that was always the case. The people looked at me and went. So what do you know anyway? Mm-hmm. So I so once you get to 40, then it's like, okay, well, you know, now I'm a man and I've got children and you know, all that. Um, but I never felt older after around about 30 something. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know, I mean, we'll wait and see, won't we? I, maybe there is a period when you suddenly feel that. I did wonder, you know, with this uh, surgery I had on my foot and ankle that makes you hobble around and makes you feel less agile and less active. And of course it's going to continue for several more months and mm-hmm. the kind of recovery period. But the funny thing is it didn't make me feel older. It made me feel frustrated that I couldn't do the things that I was used to doing. And the things that I was used to doing were the things that I remember doing when I was in my thirties. So, you know, I don't play basketball. I don't, play soccer I don't mm-hmm. do the things that I probably did when I was 30 but I still feel as active if you see what I mean mm-hmm. yeah yeah anyway that was a long answer to but you know you asked <laughs> I gave you an answer that's right that's right 
Very good. So uh, today we have no clue how this is going to go, but we're actually going to have a conversation around my life a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah I'll just jump right in. So I was, uh, before the recording, uh, just talking with you about how I, I feel lately. And I feel, um, for those who don't know me, you know, when I was 30, my wife and two kids at the time uh, left our home in the city of Baltimore and uh, left my job there uh, and moved to her hometown in the Midwest, in the great state of Ohio. And I was a bivocational church planter. And we did that for, gosh, I don't know, seven years or so. And then last year, uh, collectively, uh, as a church community, decided that it was our time to be done. It was the end of that season. And, um, and, and I'm fully convinced that it was the right decision. Uh, a lot of factors play into that. But since the closing of the church, I have to say that I have kind of this nagging uh, feeling of, um, you know, when it comes to being a Christian, am I the real thing anymore? And I don't necessarily associate that with having a position in church world, but I do feel, you know, maybe the waning of faith a little bit, the waning of uh, passionate spirituality, um, yeah. and it's yeah. bugging me a little bit. And so maybe that's the opening you know, salvo, just the background, and you can ask me some questions and we can go yeah. from here. Let me ask you this question. Have you read Garden City by John Marcoma? No. It's a good book. And, um, I mean, his his writing's very um, well-crafted for a younger audience. Um, it's just, it's just well-written and kind of connects well with the syntax and vocabulary of millennials and gen zennials. But one of the things that he says there when he's looking at the, the idea of being creatures in the creation and looks at things like rest and work, he makes the, 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 the point that I've made, but I've not made it as well as he makes it. That is, of course, we're created to be beings before we're created to be doings. Um, hence the, the description of us as human beings rather than human doings. But he does say that, of course, we're created to do something. Mm -hmm. We're not created just to kind of loll around. And um, I, think it's, uh, I think it's very important that we recognize that, that, that human beings do not function well if they don't have productive activity. Mm -hmm. We we were created to be fruitful. The first word spoken over us in creation was be fruitful. And um, clearly being fruitful uh, was not just about uh, producing the next generation of human beings. It was about being those who would have a product from their life. Mm. And if, if the way in which your life was productive was expressed in a particular way, it's not surprising that you start wondering whether you're really operating at full kind of energy, full power, if you don't operate in the world in which you were fruitful. 
Do you see what I mean? So I think it's an entirely, um, I think it's an entirely understandable question. It's a question I asked myself when I moved to Greenville from Paulie's Island. We, mm-hmm. you know, we centralized 3DM. Um, I didn't have much to do except write and and huddle people online, which I did a lot. But then you're kind of going, okay, so now what? I mean, do I, is there a church I join or is there a you know congregation I'm part of? You know, all of that kind of thing. And and who do I disciple locally and you know, all that stuff. So it gave us a lot of pause to kind of think that through and how do we connect with our neighbors and all that. So I think I think that your question is very valid. And frankly, most people are not in church work. Most people are not operating on a church staff. So it's the question that most of us are asking, I assume. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So what else do you want to ask me that I can respond to? I need a prompt. So if, if you're not now leading and planting a church and you have a sense of what your base ministry is, um, how is that being expressed? Well, I should say, before I even answer that, that my whole sense of my base ministry is a little bit confused, to be honest with you, because every time I take the, you know, the five-fold inventory, it always comes back as teacher, right? But I I know that I went through an apostolic phase from much of my 30s when I planted a church, started my own business, you know, changed jobs a couple of times, did a bunch of starter stuff, a lot of line leader stuff. And it wasn't until very recently, actually, uh, you know, talking with Paul McConaughey, uh, talking with some other folks uh, within the 3DM network, um, that oftentimes because the expression of Christianity in uh, the United States um, is aligned with knowledge and information and education, that oftentimes the base ministries end up getting expressed. Uh, kind of through the filter of teacher, even though that may not be the people's base ministry. So on the one hand, I can, you know, I keep getting this, you know, information back to me or this feedback back to me that I'm testing out as a teacher, but I'm not necessarily interested in creating a teaching platform and multiplying that and scaling that out. And so when I read the description of a prophet, five-fold base, I can really relate to that a lot. There's a lot of things that connect. And so actually this week, I'm pursuing a path where I'm going to do a year of the accessible prophecy um, work um, that's also, you know, kind of connected with 3DM. So I'm excited to figure out, you know, exactly where I fall with all this. But one thing I know, Mike, is that it burdens me that there are people in my family, in my neighborhood, in my social networks who don't know the Lord and who are experiencing the brokenness right now of that. And it really bothers me to think about what if today's the day, you know, what if today's the day where either their earthly life ends or the Lord decides to return and I don't have 
I, I, I feel, you know, I'm an Enneagram one, so I have the internal voice that's constantly criticizing me, you know, and willing to pull out anything I do wrong and, and amplify that. So I think that I have to constantly fight against not doing enough. But at the same time, I, I think it's very real that I am not um, being intentional right now with the non-believers in my life. And I think that's the thing that's bugging me. Yeah. Well, I don't know what your base ministry is. I would have probably placed you in the teacher category. Um, but lots of teachers and prophets do look a bit similar. Like mm-hmm. you and Paul are similar in that sense, you know, Paul McConaughey. Um, the other thing about you is that you are very good at mimesis. You're very good at imitation. Yeah. Um, and um, and so you tend to pick up the ministry of the people around you very quickly in a way that is very mimetic, but not particularly um, kind of intentional. It's not something that you you want to do. It's just you, I've noticed you do that. Hmm. So, you know, there could be all kinds of things going on there as far as prophecy is concerned. So just so I'm just so I'm following and our friends that are listening are following. Give me one example of where you've seen that. The mimesis that you're talking about. Um, Well, you know where it says in Ephesians 4 that we're equipping one another. I mean, clearly, it's not talking about leaders. It's talking about everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, so once we remove that from the analysis of the text, then clearly it's everyone in the body equipping everybody else with the base ministry that they have. Um, I've noticed that your, your conversation with, say, Paul McConaughey sounds way more prophetic when you spend time with him. And you sound really quite apostolic when you spend time with people like me and other people mm. who are mm. apostolic. And I mean, that that could be a feature of a couple of things. It could be a feature of you having a very teachable spirit. It could be um, a feature of you not being fully secure about who you are and still trying to run around finding out who you are. Or it could be a combination of both of those things and, you know, maybe several others as well. So so it's, it's one of those things where, understanding your ministry really only comes when you see the fruit of it Mm. in the end the fruit of it is the thing that you notice and i always remember um a pastor saying to me everyone can count and so in the end you count the fruit that is the most obvious fruit Mm. and um and if the fruit is people saying to you that you are a creative person and that your connection with God has caused them to long to be close to him and to hear his voice, you're probably a prophet. Mm-hmm. If, if the fruit of your life is that people find the things that you say compelling and cause them to want to dig into the Bible and dig into the word of God uh, for themselves because they found what it, what it was that you said fascinating and interesting and somehow um, 
catalytic of a desire to know more from the Lord in, in the word, then you're probably a teacher. <laughs> and if you, you know, prompt in other people a desire to do mission and to go to the margins, you're probably an apostle. Do you see what I mean? So, yeah. so the way that you measure it is not necessarily what you feel, mm-hmm. but what, but the fruit that you produce. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think part of the problem these days is, of course, that we tend to begin the internal journey before we observe the data of the external journey. And, um, you know, everybody can count. So what's the, what's the data of the external journey is the way to, is the way to look at it. Yeah, actually, it's funny. it's funny how you just were talking about observing because I was feeling like, as you were saying, it's like when we talk about Kairos, God breaking through and the learning circle, what's the very first thing we do? We have to see, we have to observe what's happening, you know? So that's, that's super helpful um, to do that. I feel like the other thing, the other thing about me that you raised that I think is, you know, probably a little bit of a challenge right now is that I have described myself before as an editor, um, you know, I've done exercises and huddles and different groups where I say, you know, give me three words to describe yourself or whatever. And editor is one that I sometimes use for myself because I feel like there's creative capacity in me, just like there's creative capacity in everybody. Um, but I wouldn't say that I'm the most creative person, certainly not uh, when I'm just alone by myself. But I do think that I have an ability to take an idea and refine it or you know, unpack it and repackage it in a way that other people can, you know, receive and understand or whatever. And I do feel like there's a little bit of a void in my context. Um, you know, I was trying to create a discipling culture that uh, aligned with the discipling culture that I had um, been blessed with and felt like I connected with in terms of 3DM, you know, my hubs, the Midwest hub in Fort Wayne and all the leaders there, you know, are just, you know, great people. Um, and, and it was something that for whatever reason never took shape. And so now I feel like I'm a little bit in, wow, I took this seven or eight year journey. I found my tribe, the people that I connect with, but unfortunately I don't really have many of those people in my local context. And so it's great when I can connect with them online, but it's not the same as living in your neighborhood with them or going to worship with them on Sunday. And when we talk about culture, you know, I have a friend of mine that talks about, you know, leadership or culture creation being like a string and the the influence happens from the front as it's pulled. You know, if you're in midway or at the end of the line of a string, you try to move things left and right. You got a little bit of impact, but at the end of the day, it's wherever the the line leader is taking things. And so kind of in the absence of having that here locally, I might, I guess I'm just in a little bit of like a, a wandering period trying to get my bearings where it's like, okay, I don't necessarily feel called to uproot my family again and for instance, move to a Dayton and be part of Apex. I think I personally would love that. I don't think it's the best choice for my entire family of six at this point, you know? So what do I do in this period while I'm trying to find my footing again, uh, you know, with the community that I've really come to love and bond with and share the same language with and same ideals with, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. 
So yeah, I mean, there's there's lots of different things to think about there. One is depending on you know what you're called to do in the long run and what you're called to do in the short run. Hmm. Um, you, I think you're doing a wise thing by sensing that you know maybe God is giving you a prompting to look at the prophetic a little bit more and and follow that along. I think it's also a good thing that you're doing right now with your local congregation and offering yourself as a as a a, a member and a resource of the teaching team. I mean, I think that's a I think that's a wise thing on your part because you've got gifts in that area. I think the 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 thing that so often happens, and this this happens a lot. I think you know the I've spoken to lots of people who maybe lead YWAM or you know one of the the, the big mission organizations. And then they just find themselves kind of free floating and mm. unable to connect with a local church because it just doesn't seem to be as vibrant or as focused or as or as momentous as the as the thing that they've been involved with up until then. And I think you've just got to find a way of saying, okay, what does it look like for the kingdom to come in my life? What what would that look like? What would it look like if it came? If the kingdom came in my marriage, in my family, on my street, what would that look like? And it, once you get that picture, then go for that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Rather than wait for a picture from the outside, wait for somebody to give you a vision or something. You see what I mean? Yeah. That, yeah. You know, that's the very first thing that Jesus says, pray for once you've connected with God as father. Mm. So, if, yeah. you know, that, that, that would indicate uh, a sense of priority there. So what does it look like for the kingdom to come? Then start praying that. Start yeah. living that. Start looking for that. See what I mean? Yeah, I do. And I think <laughs> it's funny how this conversation is a little bit circular in my mind. And uh, maybe that's part of the problem is not the problem, but just what I'm what I'm processing is. I think the whole idea of your kingdom come, your will be done, I feel like is not necessarily happening right now. And that's the angst that I feel, you know, that that's the thing that I, I know the answer is to not have a, not necessarily to have a position in church. Well, that might be the answer for some people. I don't think that's necessarily the answer for me right now, but I also you know, feel the disconnect in terms of the kingdom coming and that's what's bugging me, you know? So I think your suggestion's right on to... And I think I think the the way you're doing it intuitively is the correct way, which is don't ask it in a kind of abstract, generalized sense, the kingdom come, because what you said to me earlier was you're asking the kingdom to come for individuals that you know, mm -hmm. your extended family, mm -hmm. people that live on your street. Well, pray that, live that. And by pray it, of course, what I mean by that is live it. Live that, you know, long for that, look for that. And, um, and then it tends to clarify, it clears the table, it, it drives away the fog and you start to go, okay, yeah, that's, I know what I'm doing now. Yeah, yeah. I'm praying for John. I'm praying for the kingdom to come in his life. Yeah, that's great. Um, I, I will kind of keep in this theme, but 
I, I want to ask you a question. Um, one of the things that it's related to my own journey and the idea of fruit that you brought up before. And I feel like in some ways, one of the reasons why it was a good decision for us to uh, close the chapter on our local church uh, was because the fruit of the effort there, I think had been waning and there was a period of, I wouldn't call it depression because I want to be sensitive with that, uh, that word. Um, and I'm on a low dose antidepressant. So I know that whole world. Right. Um, but I will say there was a period last year when I was kind of accepting, you know, because some, some people hear, Oh, you left your job and you went and played at the church. That's nice. And, you know, I mean, I admit if I was reading the New Testament and all the first church was doing and all that Paul was doing, and then I read, oh, and Nate left his job to go plant a church, I would turn the page pretty quick too and get to the real interesting stuff, you know, where God was breaking through and doing amazing things. But the level of uh, effort and, and strain, uh, both good and, you know, maybe bad that it took to do that and to walk that road, um, you know, was, was fairly significant for my wife and me. Um, I don't think our kids actually noticed too much, um, yeah. you know, cause they were young enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, but for, you know, some of our close friends, you know, it was a, it was a pretty big lift. And I think there was a, a sense coming to terms last year where the, the question um, that I think the enemy was laying on me was, you know, what, what was this all for? You know, when, when you don't, when you worked so hard, when you sacrificed so much, when you gave up so many opportunities, all those, you know, lies that he'll speak and things that those false things will get you to look at. What was yeah. it all worth? You didn't really like accomplish that much. You know, there wasn't much fruit. And I remember reading in leading kingdom movements, one of your books, you talked about how early on in your ministry, and I don't know how early this was because you just got done saying you accomplished a lot in your twenties and thirties. So I don't know exactly when this was, but you, you said that you were struggling maybe with a similar feeling yeah. and that there was actually, <laughs> I picture her as an old church lady who came to you and just said, Hey, I'm, I'm praying, we're praying that eventually all this works out for something, right? Like <laughs> God shows you something. I think you said, we're praying, we're praying for fruit in your ministry. And I thought, okay. <laughs> all so, right. So, That's so, good. Yeah. Obviously you can't see it now. Yeah. So, so I find it, personally, I find it difficult to relate to that story, knowing who you are now coming off of an episode where we talked about a church in Uganda that built a coffee shop for you because of the work that you've done and how it's catalyzed, you know, possibly a, a Christian revival in, yeah. in that, that part of the world. So take me into that to explain what was going on and, and what happened from that moment. Well, I think, I think desperation is a really good place to be. Mm. And I think the idea of being prepared to take risks because you're so desperate, you don't know really what to do. Mm. And so 
basically any idea is as good as the other idea because you don't know what's the right idea anyway. You see what I mean? That that kind of a place, I think, is a good place to get to, and that's definitely the place I was at. Mm-hmm. And it was a place that I was at um, a lot in those early years. You know, sometimes when success came my way and, you know, notoriety came my way, I forgot it. But God has a, a way of kind of ensuring that I'm on a fairly short leash as far as that one's concerned. And so, frankly, you know, people often say to me things like, you know, like on my birthday yesterday, you know, all the things that you've achieved. And I'm like going, I don't really know what they're talking about. I mean, you know, because I, no, the serious, I, I absolutely swear to you, I'm not being, I'm not being weirdly kind of self-effacing or trying to be super Christian humble or anything. I literally never on any day wake up thinking, man, I'm awesome. I wake up every day thinking, okay, uh, yeah, you're still there, God, that's good. Um, I'm still here. And I feel weak today because this temptation has come back again like it mm-hmm. did yesterday. Mm-hmm. And uh, that memory of the past kind of still besets me. And I still hate that person. Um, and I probably ought not to, but I still want to hate them. And I still feel vulnerable about that particular thing mm-hmm. that I did or that somebody said to me. Or So I'm like, I, know, I don't know where everybody else is as kind of conflicted and um, challenged as I am, but that's what I'm like most days. And um, I promise you, I don't wake up thinking, I've sold 100,000 copies of... PDC, you know, I just yeah. never think that. I mean, never, it never even crosses my mind. So, so have you ever? Like, in other words, is that just a personality trait or, you know, uh, position or whatever? Or has, has that somehow been a change in your life? It changed when I was 27, basically. I mean, I think I still felt vulnerable before that. I think that the vulnerability became the access point for God to do stuff. Mm. And um, let me do it is basically me contextualizing 2 Corinthians 12, 9, which is my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Let me do it is literally what that verse is about. So when um, you say you, when you say, let me do it, I'm assuming because I read your book. Yeah. That's what you sensed or heard the Lord saying to you. Yeah. And, and, and I heard it, I heard it through, were... yeah, and I heard it through the testimony of John Wimber that someone had smuggled into the room that I was in that was an exclusion zone because I was so likely to be infected because I had third-degree burns on my legs and no one was allowed to be near me. Mm. And uh, they smuggled this little old cassette with this bootlegged, copy of John Wimber's testimony. And basically the Lord spoke to me directly through that. And I knew it was him. I mean, it was like, you know, when the the cassette stopped playing, those phrases kept on running in my head and I knew it was the Lord's voice and not John Wimber's voice. Mm. And, um, And the interesting thing was by embracing that, 
it was astonishing what happened. I mean, immediately I could see the evidence of fruit all around me. Mm. And, um, and since that time, nobody's been coming to me and saying, we're praying for fruit for you. Mm. So, okay, this is, this is great because you, one of the first things you said on this episode was that we're human beings first, but we are created to do things. And when you hear a word from God, maybe, or maybe it was from more positioned from the Lord himself, let me do it. Uh, I'm guessing that that didn't mean that you stopped doing anything and that somehow God, you know, magically or spiritually intervened and took yeah. care well, of all What's good about this is that people have heard me preach this sermon <laughs> and nobody's yeah. ever, and nobody's ever examined what it is that I'm saying. Um, in, in the way that you're doing, which is very helpful. So what does let me do it mean? It means allow me to direct your thinking, allow me to direct your actions because I'm directing your thinking, allow me to change the course of your plans and allow me to animate the things that you're going to do on the basis of those plans and on the basis of that thinking, allow me to animate those with my spirit in a way that ensures that what you do produces way more than what you would imagine is possible if it's just you doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so first example, uh, I'm walking again, I'm kind of shuffling around the parking lot of a retreat center. The Lord says to me, because I don't know what to preach. I've got this message. I've got to speak to these young people. They don't, they're all sitting there singing Kumbaya or something. I mean, I can hear them playing and singing and I can't work out what to say. And I just felt like the Lord said, just tell them, just explain to them the anatomical um, realities of crucifixion. And I thought, wow, all right. And I'd heard an evangelist, Eric Delve in England, do that, and I'd done some reading and and some research into you know the the realities of crucifixion. So I just went in and explained crucifixion, and um, the the atmosphere became so thick that literally everybody in the room, not just me, everybody in the room, looked up and went, "What is that?" Of course, it's the presence of the Lord in the room, mm. and um, the girls began to weep. And many of them came to the Lord right there. And then the boys followed the rugby captain out of the room in high dudgeon because they were just offended by what had just happened. And they thought it was all emotionalism. And as the captain of the rugby team got to the boys dormitory, he broke down in tears. And after I left, the pastor of the group went and found the boys and they were all on their knees weeping. Mm -hmm being led to the Lord and all of them came, became Christians, mm. all of them, which is amazing, you know? So out of 26 kids, 24 came to Christ that day. Wow. And, um, you know, and they're doing missionary work and full-time service and all that kind of stuff. So Sorry, could you say that again? That's <laughs> so weird, isn't it? Isn't it weird when your phone on your, and your watch speak to you? Um, so my watch didn't understand what I was just saying, and I'm sorry to hear that. Now, now you're going to start seeing uh, 
crucifixion pop up on your Google whenever you go there to <laughs> no, do a search. Yeah, we we never listen to your conversations. Um, <laughs> yeah, so so that was the beginning of it, and you know, um, on Sunday, this last Sunday, I was feeling a bit vulnerable. It didn't feel that good. I had to preach. And even now, to be honest with you, I mean, we had a big response on Sunday. I still don't know whether I quite got there mm-hmm. preaching. You know how you do. Um, but anyway, before that, in the worship, I realized that I was going to do the response time slightly differently. And I hadn't given word to the prayer team who go and recruit members of the congregation to help them pray. And so I mentioned it to one and then I ran around to the other side and I just touched the shoulder of one of the prayer team and she jumped out of her skin because she was, you know, lost in prayer somewhere, uh, which was quite funny for everybody else around her. Um, But what she said afterwards was quite interesting, which was she felt so vulnerable herself that she was thinking of going home at that point in the worship service Mm. and me just tapping her on the shoulder helped her to kind of re-earth again and go, Oh no, I'm, I'm here for a purpose. I'm supposed to be part of the prayer team. And it's the weirdest thing, isn't it? Why would I go and tap her on the shoulder? Mm. Isn't that an odd thing? Mm. And it's like, I don't know why, but sure enough, that's what I did. And the number of times that that happens is ridiculous. Mm. Mm. You know what I mean? It just it just happens. Yeah. So practically here, as we think about uh, letting the Lord do it in our lives, whatever that is. Yeah. It feels a lot like um, set your mind on things above. It feels a lot like pray continually. It feels a lot like when we're talking about the practical things that we can do, it's literally developing the habit or the reflex of asking Jesus' opinion and direction every step we take. I mean, is that is that too much? I think that the problem about describing it like that, uh, Nate, is that people hear it and they just turn that into a religious practice. Yeah, yeah. So how do we avoid that? Um, I think you avoid it by taking the risk of doing the first thing that comes into your mind. Mm. Uh, Because probably the thing that stops us from engaging with the nature of the life of faith is that we're not prepared to take risks for Jesus. Mm. And um, sometimes saying and doing the first thing rather than rationalizing it and come up with a reason why you shouldn't do it is a good starting point. I'm not suggesting in any way that it's a great finishing point, Mm because I think that you grow to a greater level of maturity. But I think that being much more immediate Mm -hmm. things and asking yourself this question, why isn't this Jesus? That's Mm -hmm. wrong. That's good. Rather than than saying, well, I don't, you know, maybe this, you know, maybe it is, maybe all of that. Instead of doing that, just to say to yourself, why isn't this Jesus? Mm, that's helpful. Yeah, that's good. Because if, if you haven't got an answer for that, then go and do it. Try it. Mm, mm. And um, you might be shocked. Let's do it. Let's, uh, 
let's ask why isn't it him this week let's be quick to act and let's uh, let's get caught up in that i'm excited for that that's fun isn't it it is thanks so much for uh, listening to me and processing with me today it was a real blessing Thanks everybody for joining us today. And uh, this is the last episode of season two. We're gonna take a little bit of a break before we get back to it for season three. No, no. Uh, I know, I know it's sad, but we will be back. We promise uh, and better than ever, I'm sure. If you have a moment and are willing to rate and review our podcast on, uh, I think we're on Amazon, Spotify and iTunes, or I guess it's Apple Podcasts now. Sorry, I'm a little late to the game. Uh, if you rate and review us, that'd be awesome. We just would love to broaden our access for people uh, who want to be part of what we're talking about and what we're building here. Uh, yes. Also, you can check out disciplingculture.com. Lots of resources for you there. I'm not going to list them all. Go find them out for yourself. We love you. Thanks so much, Mike. It's see my pleasure, Nate. I shall see you next time.